If you will turn in your Bibles to the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, beginning in verse 57, as we continue our study through the Word. It had been nine months. Nine months of silence. Nine months that Zacharias was not able to speak. And there is no doubt in my mind that the words of the angel Gabriel rang in his ears during those nine months. You will remember that Zacharias uh, had been given the privilege of burning the incense there in the holy place. And and as he was burning the incense uh, on the golden altar right in front of the holy of holies, you'll remember that the angel Gabriel showed up. And you'll remember that Gabriel spoke to Zecharias and he said, Do not be afraid, Zecharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And Zecharias, when he heard those words, immediately began a war within his soul between fear and faith. Do I believe those words that I am hearing? And how desperately he wanted to believe those words that he would have a son? Oh my goodness, how many times had he prayed for a child, for a son? You remember that Zacharias is married to Elizabeth. And you remember at one time in their life they were young and newly married. And oh, how fun that season is to be young and newly married with your whole life in front of you. And your arms are wide open going, okay, God bless us. (laughs) Here we are. And the blessing that they wanted was the same blessing that every young couple in Israel wanted. And that was children and a family to be able to raise. And in particular, Lord, a son to be able to carry on the name and the the inheritance as well. That would be awesome. And so they started their marriage and they began to pray. and, And month by month, the answer came back, no. Maybe this month, Lord, and no. Maybe this month, Lord, please, this month, no. And month by month, and then year by year by year by year by They kept on praying. They kept holding on to the hope of a family, to the hope of children, to the hope of a baby. And they kept on praying and they kept on asking until one day the clock ran out. And Elizabeth's cycle ended. And now the hope of that family, the hope of that child, the hope that they had chased their entire marriage now needed to be buried and put away. They needed to move past it now. And they had. And now suddenly there was this angel standing before Zacharias telling him to go and to resurrect that hope, to resurrect that dream, to once again believe that 
that that could be theirs. And his soul wanted to believe that, but the fear of the pain of bringing all that back up, it was neatly tucked away and buried to uncover that again and to enter back into that place of hope. And so fear and faith battled it out right there at that intersection as he stood before the Holy of Holies, before the angel of Gabriel. And Zacharias succumbed to fear. And he doubted. And do you remember that that Gabriel rebuked him for his doubt and told him that these things would come to pass, but because he had not believed there would be a consequence in his life. There's always a consequence when God delivers truth to you and you reject that truth. There is always a consequence to the lack of reception of truth into your life. And so God told Zacharias through Gabriel that he would be mute now until these things come to pass because they would come to pass. Because when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it whether you believe he's going to do it or you don't believe he's going to do it. It doesn't matter. When God says something, it will come to pass. And so Zacharias now, for nine months, he has been watching Elizabeth now. As Elizabeth has grown larger now, she is with child. But he has not been able to enter into conversation with her. He's not been able to enter into the joy of communion and fellowship. And and no doubt that was difficult. I wonder if that was also difficult for Elizabeth. Because you see, when we suffer consequences in our lives, those that are around us and love us and are connected to us, they suffer the consequences of our lives in their lives as well. But Elizabeth has her child, her baby, and and suddenly you'll remember in her sixth month, Mary came to visit her, and she was with child and the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit filled Elizabeth, and she prophesied over Mary, and then she enjoyed three months of fellowship in that final trimester. But then it was time for Mary to depart. I think about Elizabeth and Mary's departure. And if Mary's feet were heavy, having to head back now to Nazareth, back to Joseph, back to her engagement, she is with child and now she has to face not only Joseph, but the parents and the community, the whispers, the gossip and all that would take place. And And was there anxiety and fear and anxiousness in Mary, wondering if Joseph wouldn't believe her and what the outcome would come? And I wonder if Elizabeth didn't try and encourage her and remind her in the same way, Mary, as you were nervous about coming here and sharing with me, and yet you saw how God went before you. God will go before you, and God will be with you, and And did they pray together as it was time now for Mary to go back to Nazareth and try and walk in God's will for 
her life? And Elizabeth bid her farewells. Bye, Mary. Call me, <laughs> text me, let me know how it goes. <laughs> but you know, back then, you know, that Mary would just depart and you just would not know. And it would be left to wonder. Back in those days, oftentimes you wouldn't connect with your relatives and find out what was happening except maybe once a year when everyone would go to Passover and would meet in Jerusalem and the extended families from all over would meet up and share the news of what's going on in the family and, and these types of things. And so as Mary departs, Elizabeth just has to trust her to the Lord now. And it is time for her to bring forth her son. And that's where the 57th verse of Luke's gospel picks it up. It says, Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. How glorious that is. The promise was fulfilled just as God said it would be. And God always and keeps uh, his promises and no doubt uh, all of the families were waiting now to see whether or not it was a boy or a girl that used to be a great mystery then we had sonograms now and it's no longer a mystery you can know or not know now if you choose but back then they didn't know but elizabeth knew she knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that she was having a son. And she brings forth her son, just as God said that she would. And when her neighbors and relatives heard, verse 58, how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced uh, with her. You'll remember that Gabriel, the angel, had said to her that you will have joy and gladness. You will have joy and gladness, but many will rejoice at his birth. And so here we see that the neighbors and the relatives that says that they rejoiced with her. In Israel, the birth of a boy was an occasion of great joy. When the time of the birth was near, friends and musicians, the local musicians would gather near the house. And when the birth was announced and it was a boy, the musicians broke into music and the celebration began. And it was a time of great rejoicing. If it was a girl, the musicians just went home. <laughs> there was a, an expression that said that the birth of a male child causes universal joy, but the birth of a female child causes universal sorrow. <laughs> I didn't make this stuff up. This is the way that it was uh, back then in that patriarchal society. But here is what I know. Underneath the new covenant, right, we are all equal before the eyes of the Lord, right? Amen. So we celebrate boys and girls today. So there you go. Verse 59, and so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. And his mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. 
Now it was the eighth day. A boy was always circumcised on the eighth day. Didn't matter whether it was the Sabbath, the Shabbat, or not. If it was the eighth day, that is when the boy would be circumcised. And it was at the circumcision that the official name of the boy would be given. Now, with the girl, you had 30 days to name the girl and to choose her name. But the boy's name was determined on the eighth day. Now, the custom and the tradition of that time was a firstborn son is going to take the name of the father. There isn't even anything to talk about that he's going to carry on his father's name and so this is the firstborn son of Zecharias of course his name is going to be Zecharias and so the relatives were like okay yay Zecharias and she's like no his name is not going to be Zecharias his name is going to be John (laughs) and the relatives were like what Look at what happens. And they said in verse 61, but they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. They're like, Elizabeth, maybe you're old. This is your first child. You don't remember how this works. But you always honor the father by giving the father's name to the son. And and sometimes you would name him after a grandfather, maybe a great-grandfather, and take that name and extend it down and jump it down and honor them if you wanted to do that. But John, there isn't even a John. There isn't even one in the whole family tree here. What are you doing? What are you doing? You're disrespecting your husband. I think you're taking advantage of the fact he can't talk. (laughs) Slipping a John in and naming him while he's muto over here. And so they jump right over her head and go to Zechariah. They, they are going to let him know what his wife is planning on. And so they made signs, verse 62, to his father. What he would have him called. Your wife is trying to name him John. And so he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying, his name is John. And so they all marveled. They all went, this house is sure gone crazy. (laughs) What in the world is going on around here? They are breaking custom. They are upending tradition. They are just heading off in a new direction here, and they can't understand why in the world they would possibly do this. But I want you to know that Zacharias gets it right. Last we saw Zacharias in fear and faith battled there in front of the golden altar of incense. And it was there that that the angel told him, you're going to have a son and his name is to be John. And so where he failed to walk by faith and to trust God fully and completely, there nine months later when that child is born just as Gabriel had declared, and now it was time to name that child and he's got custom and tradition and the culture all telling him what the name is supposed to be. But you have God over here who has told him what God's name for him is to be. And now he comes to the intersection of fear in faith once again and where last time uh, he fell down at fear and faith this time he steps up his name is john and it is so wonderful to see the way that god continues to build our faith in each and every one of us 
God is for you. God is with you. God is seeking to continue to mold you into a man of God, into a woman of God. And as we keep coming to these intersections, God is continuing to strengthen us and to help us and to be able to exhort us and to build us up. Nine months he sat in silence now. Nine months the Lord put him into a timeout. I was thinking about not being able to talk for nine uh, months. Nine months. Think about that. When I was a kid growing up and would be in the car, our parents would play a game. Who could keep quiet the longest on our car rides? (laughs) I think five minutes was our limit. (laughs) But nine months, he had them just reflect and pause and process who you are, who I am, and our relationship with each other. And now, Zacharias steps up. And we see that he's been built up by that time of reflection. And now he is able and ready to be able to step forwards by faith into God's will, regardless of the consequences. Because certainly now they're experiencing those consequences of going against custom, of going against tradition, of going against the culture. And when God calls us to step forwards by faith, oftentimes it is against tradition and culture and community to where people are like, what is wrong with you? And the answer is nothing. Everything is right on track. And so the name John, And they marveled, it says in verse 64, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God. We see here that Zechariah's consequences was that he was not able to use his mouth to praise God and to give the Aaronic benediction. That was the very first thing that he was prevented from doing when he came out. He was supposed to bless the people and bless God. But now, nine months later, when his mouth is opened up, the very first thing that he does is he praises God. He blesses God. And we see also his heart. We see a heart that is rightfully repentant, a heart that's rightfully connected, a heart that is now praising God. When he opened up his mouth, notice that his heart wasn't bitter. Can you believe I haven't been able to talk for nine months? Wow, that was a bummer. (laughs) You know, he doesn't come out spewing, you know, all sorts of frustrations and things. What does he do? He opens up his mouth and he praises God. And he praises God. And in praising God with his mouth, listen to this, he does what our mouths were created for. You see, your mouth and your voice that God gave you, the highest use of your voice, of your mouth, is to give praise to God. That's the highest use of your mouth. You remember Jesus says that if their mouths won't praise God, then he can raise up even the rocks. We'll sing praise to God. And so having lost uh, his voice and having given it back, he now steps into the highest uh, use that he was entrusted with his voice. As we worshiped here together, we did exactly that. We used our mouths to declare great uh, is uh, our God. And we praised God with our mouths. 
It says in verse 65, Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And so people were talking about uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth. They were talking about their son, and they were talking at the wells. They were talking in the marketplace. Hey, did you hear about Zacharias, how he couldn't talk? Yeah, He got his voice back when they named him. They named him Zacharias. No, John. What? <laughs> Why would they do that? I don't know. We can't phrase it. God told them to. Okay. And, and this now spread throughout, and they were discussing this. This is what they were discussing uh, all over the entire region. And now Zacharias was able to fully talk about what happened when he was burning the incense and how the angel Gabriel showed up and and all of this. And so these stories circulated all around the entire region. This went forth. And so now as they talked about these things it says in verse 66 and all those who heard them kept them in their hearts saying what kind of child will this be and the hand of the lord was with them and so as they heard the story of zacharias in the altar as they heard that he wasn't able to speak as they heard that he was given his voice back as they heard that they named him john it says that they put those things into their heart and they just asked the question what kind of child is this going to be they were asking the question what is god up to it's a good question they didn't have the answer but they were asking the right question and i think in our own lives that's a good thing for us to remember when you start to see god moving in the lives of your children when you start to see God moving in your spouse or you start to see God moving in your coworker or your neighbor to wonder, God, what are you doing? What are you up to? Because God is always uh, on the move and to ponder those things and to be watching the orchestration of God throughout the hearts and the lives of the people that are around us. And the hand of the Lord was with him. I want you to know the hand of the Lord is with you today. I want you to know that God is for you. I want you to know that God is with you. And whatever it is that you are going through, know this, that God is right there by your side. It is delightful to know that he will never leave you. He will never depart from you. He will never fail on you. He will never quit on you. He will never walk away from you. He is with you. He is for you. Even today, whatever it is that you might be going through, struggling with in every area of your life, whatever you are dealing with, know this, that his hand, the hand of the creator God of the universe, listen to this, the hand of the creator God of the universe is for you. He's for you. He's with you. His hand is indelibly impressed uh, upon you and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit and you have the indwelling empowerment of God operating inside of you. He is for you. He is with you. And how comforting that is to know that you are never alone. You can feel alone at times and there are battles and challenges that you have to go through by yourself, in your soul, that nobody else will ever know the fullness of that except God. Because God is right there with you. And his hand is upon you in the midst of every single circumstance of your life. 
It says in verse 67, Now his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, I love this, the Holy Spirit is now upon Zacharias, you remember how the Holy Spirit filled Elizabeth when she heard Mary's voice first speak and the Holy Spirit came upon her and then she prophesied and, and sang her song. And we saw the Holy Spirit filled was upon John the Baptist even in his mother's womb before he was even born. And now we see the Holy Spirit is upon dad, is upon Zacharias. And he is going to break forth in song as well. And his song, this is the second song that we see here in Luke's gospel, and it's called the Benedictus. And, and that is because the first word in Latin, blessed, is Benedictus. And it has two main parts. The first part of the song, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and now he is going to break forth. So this is an utterance of the Spirit. Now, and the first thing that it is going to be is just a praise to God for the deliverance that is going to come through the Messiah. And so the Messiah has been long prophesied and long waited for. And so we are going to see now these incredible praises to God for their deliverance. And then the second part is going to be to celebrate the role that John the Baptist is actually going to play. You'll remember how the prophets had declared that before the Messiah came, there would be a forerunner. And now John the Baptist is the fulfillment of those scriptures that the prophets had recorded hundreds and thousands of years earlier, God promising that he was going to send a forerunner and their son is the forerunner to the Messiah, to the deliverer. And so he begins now the spirit coming upon him filled with the spirit in verse 68 blessed is the lord god of israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and so the very first statement begins with blessing to god blessed is the lord god of israel for he has visited and redeemed his people so zacharias is prophesying the redemption of god's people now remember that christ isn't born yet remember that christ is now three months in the womb of mary at this point six months away from the actual birth but prophetically now the deliverer has come uh, he is going to deliver god's people and if you are christ's then you are part of god's people verse 69 and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant david and so the messiah is going to be in the direct lineage of david and jesus is a descendant of david and it says that he has raised up a horn of salvation for us now a horn means strength and so the strength, the strength of salvation, our strength in our life is in our salvation. That's the strength that is in our life. I want you to know that you and I have been rescued uh, by our Savior. And so that rescue that took place, it changed uh, our life. And it becomes the strength uh, of our life. I was watching a show the other night and they had... On it, they had people that were being rescued by first responders, that were, their lives were being saved. They were 
out on cliff edges and they were repelling down to get them. They were injured and, and, and helpless there. There were others that were being pulled off of roofs and helicopters uh, as the floodwaters were coming up. And they showed the look in the people's eyes as those responders, those first responders were getting there to them and literally saving their lives. And, and what had happened is these people now afterwards in the aftermath, they, they went back and found out who that first responder was. And they wanted to thank them for saving their life, for putting themselves into harm's way to come and to rescue them and to save their life and how their lives will never be the same again and how that impact of being saved, of being rescued has changed their life forever. And and I realized that that's us, that every single one of us, Jesus is the ultimate first responder, amen? That we were in peril, we were perishing. Our sin was dragging us down and separating us further and further and further away from God. And that for all eternity. And Jesus dove down and he rescued us and he cut the chain of our sin that was dragging us away from God. And he restored us and redeemed us and put our feet back on the rock. And that moment of our salvation, it has changed our lives forever. And our salvation becomes the strength of our life because what are we to fear now that we have been rescued and now that we have been saved no longer do we fear sin because sin has no power over us any longer no longer do we fear death because death now means to be only joined together with our lord and so our salvation becomes the very strength of our life and this uh, jesus christ the ultimate first responder who god sent from heaven to come down leaves his glory leaves his throne leaves the comfort of heaven to come and to rescue each and every one of us and that salvation now that's the strength uh, of our life our entire lives are built now upon the strength of the salvation that we have received And so here we see in verse 70, it says in this promise of Jesus as the ultimate first responder, it says that God had promised that from the time that the world began as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who has been since the world began. You remember that when sin first entered to the world, that God promised Adam and Eve as they were being sent out from the garden that he would come and rescue us, that God has a plan. And don't worry, God will come and redeem us. And and that promise had been echoed throughout the generations of mankind through the prophets describing the plan of salvation that the rescuer is coming and what he would look like and through the lineage that he would come through and and all of the promises of the rescuer that was going to come and so he has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets verse 71 that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us of all of the promises in the Bible for us as believers, knowing that God will cause, listen to this, even our enemies to live at peace with us. In Romans 8.31, it says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The hand of God, the hand of God is with you. The hand of God is with you. 
And so, verse 72, to perform the mercy promised to, to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. This is the Abrahamic covenant. It says in verse 73, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. The oath isn't given here, but it's found in Genesis chapter 22, verses 16 through 18. And that's where God promises to Abraham that his descendants are going to be more than the stars in the sky, more than the sands of the sea. And through his offspring, the Savior is going to come to where all generations, all mankind is going to be blessed. And the promise to Abraham that the Messiah is coming through your lineage. To grant to us, verse 74, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. You see, when we were in captivity to sin, when sin had held us bondage, we served sin. And then Christ came down and rescued us and set us free from sin. So now, guess what? We don't have to serve sin anymore. We're not underneath the authority. Now we can serve God. And it says that we can serve God without fear. We can serve God. We can love God. We can be in relationship with God without fear. Why? Because we have nothing to fear from sin. We know that sin has no hold over us. We've been forgiven for all of our sins. And so we have nothing to be afraid of. No worry. No stress. No fear. Can you imagine that for a minute? That's what God wants for your life. That's God's will for your life. Is that you would just enjoy the life that he gave you without being afraid, without having anxiety, and without worrying. What does a life without worrying look like? Can you even begin to imagine it? Let's break it down and make it a little bit simpler. How about one hour of no worrying? <laughs> How about an hour where you are just absolutely, listen to this, just where you have absolutely no fear and no anxiety. You see, we live in a stressed out culture. We're a stressed out people. The, the, the addiction now to antidepressants and medication for stress and worry and fear is off the charts. I was reading a report that in France today, one in three people are addicted to antidepressants over there in their nation. And we see that these kinds of numbers are, are prevalent. The world is turning to medication to try and deal with the stress and the fear and the worry. This is what's happening. But here's what God did. God said, I don't want you to be worried about anything. I mean, imagine this. God created this entire planet. Do you know why? For our amusement. He created mountains and he created valleys and plains and rivers and lakes and oceans. And, and he created all of the, the incredible plants and trees. And, and then he created the animal life and, and decorated them all with funny colors and creativity and all different things. And then he made kittens to just play with each other and make us laugh. And he made puppies to chase their tails for our amusement. And he put us down here and he said, enjoy your life. Enjoy your life. Love me. Let's do this together, love others, and enjoy this incredible gift of this life that I have given to you. And you go, oh, yeah, I know, but I'm so nervous. I'm so worried. I can't, I can't enjoy it. And he's like, okay, what are you worried about? And you're like, well, this. And he goes, I've got that. What else? Well, and this. 
He goes, well, I've got that. What else? Well, all of this. And he goes, okay, I've got all of that. What else? Well, now what am I supposed to do? <laughs> I'm not going to worry. <laughs> what, am I, what am I supposed to do? I'm like a professional worrier. <laughs> I'm really good at it. <laughs> he goes, now, can you just enjoy? Can you just enjoy the gift of the life that I gave you? And know that I've got it. I've got everything that you've worried about. You don't need to be worried about. I've got it. Can you enjoy what I've given you? Can you enjoy this life? Can you enjoy the incredible planet and the universe and my creation? Can you just enjoy the relationships? Can you just be free of worry to start noticing the people around you and just love them? And just live in the richness of my love and enjoy this incredible playground that I put you on. And then when you're done here, guess what? I've got an even better playground for you waiting. (laughs) And that's our life. That's the life that he designed for us. That's available that he's trying to call us to enter in, to serve him and to love him without any fear whatsoever. And we see that, that that is the number one negative commandment that's listed over and over and over and over and over again in the scriptures. Don't be afraid. Be anxious for nothing. Do not worry. Over and over we see that's God's commandment to us. Why? Because he knows that we're prone to it. But when we start to worry and we become anxious, what does it do? It balls us up and it keeps us from loving others. It turns us inward and we stop caring about others because we're so concerned and consumed by the worry and the anxiety. So no love gets out of our life because it's blocked by our love, by our worry. And so he says that the Savior came to set us free so we can now serve God without fear, without fear. And that's how God wants you to live your life, without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. To just walk in fellowship and communion with God and just enjoy his goodness and his grace and his love in your life. In holiness, our relationship with God, righteousness, righteous conduct between one another all the days of our life. And then he moves on to John the Baptist. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. And so in Isaiah and Malachi, we see all of these prophecies that were given. That there's going to be the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. It says in verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of of their sins. You see, forgiveness of sins is the heart of our salvation. Sin is what was pulling us away from God and causing deeper and deeper separation. That forgiveness of sin, that was the heart of salvation. That was the heart of our salvation. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. The tender mercy of God. God is so tender. And so merciful. It says a, a, 
A smoking flax he won't extinguish. A smoking flax is, is, a, is a candle wick that's just barely lit when it's just glowing and it's now starting to smoke and it's not quite out. And even the lightest puff of air will put it out. And, and God takes us when we're like that in our life, when, when we're just barely flickering, he puts his hands around us. And he prevents any air from any puff from extinguishing it. It says a smoking flax, he won't let that go out. And a bent reed, a bruised reed, he won't let it break. When we're bent and, and crippled, he protects us and helps us. He is so gentle. He's so merciful in your life. He loves you so much. That's his nature. That's his character. And so... The day spring from on high. That's Jesus. And he is coming to visit. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. And to guide our feet into the way of peace. How tragic it is to sit in absolute blackness and not know what direction to go. Absolute blackness and not knowing which way is peace. You see, every person wants peace. Peace in their soul. That's what everybody wants is peace in their life, peace in their heart, that inner contentment that everybody is searching for. But they're sitting in blackness and they have no, no idea what direction to go. And it says, and Jesus comes and he's the lantern. He's the light of the world. And he says, here, come here, just follow this and you know, walk right around there. No, 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 here, over this way. Okay, around that, over here. And he just sits there and he just leads you through your whole life, just illuminating your next steps on where to go as he guides you into peace and into righteousness. And that was you and I just sitting in blackness. We had no idea what direction to, to head in. Jesus says, my peace I give you, not the peace of the world but a deep inner contentment now that comes with right relationship with God and right relationship with others. And so this great light now comes down, Christ, to guide us, to help us, to move us into the way of peace. And so the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. And so John the Baptist grows up. He grows into this full-grown man, and we see now that he was raised uh, not uh, in the world, but he was raised in the wilderness, uh, and he is ready until it says the day of his manifestation to Israel. So that's where we leave John, full-grown, out in the wilderness. He is wearing camel skins and eating grasshoppers and honey, and he is waiting now for God to tell him to blow the trumpet and to start announcing that the Messiah has come. And so as we close our study there, I want to draw our attention for just a minute. Right there in that 80th verse, it says, and the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. That's where he was raised, was in the deserts. That was interesting to me because you remember that Jesus said of John the Baptist, of every person that's ever been born of woman, he's the greatest of every single man that ever came before. Wow. And where did God raise him up? 
God raised him up, not in the comfort and the luxury of the world. John the Baptist wasn't a person that that was accustomed to soft uh, silk and and to cushy down pillows. And and he never slept on a mattress that you could control the the firmness of it. He never did that. He never had that in his uh, entire life. Uh, God, God, where did he raise him? He raised him out uh, in the desert. Now, it's interesting that that's where he grew him up because the, the desert, the wilderness, is a place that God oftentimes brings people to prepare them, to mold their character and to strengthen their faith, to help them to be still and know that I am God. And it is in those wilderness experiences that, that God does a work in our hearts and in our lives. And we can go into the wilderness through physical challenges, through spiritual challenges, through financial challenges, through relational challenges. You know, the desert is a hostile environment. That's what the wilderness, the desert experience is. It is it's the opposite of the, of the world. And you see, John the Baptist wasn't raised in the world. He was raised away from the world. And so oftentimes when God is going to do a work in our life, he's got to get the world out of us. And the way that he does that is to take us out of the world for a season. It's interesting that the nation of Israel, God brings them out of Egypt. Remember, Egypt's a type of the world. He brings them out of Egypt. And it didn't take him long to get the nation out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of the nation he now had to get the world out of his people before he brought them into the promised land. It was interesting that Moses also spent 40 years in the courts of Pharaoh. He grew up having the best of every single thing, the best education, the best comforts, the sweetest delicacies of food. For 40 years, he was raised in Pharaoh's court. But then God takes him out of the world and makes him a shepherd out in the wilderness. And do you know how long he was a shepherd in the wilderness? 40 years. It took 40 years to get the 40 years of the world that got into him to get that world back out of him till he was ready to what? Go and stand against the world and to be used by God to where his character was ready to be able to stand against the most powerful man on the face of the earth and to face him down as a man of God and as God's representative. You see, sometimes God takes us into those wilderness experiences in our lives to be able to start to pull some of the world out of us and to prepare us and to equip us to be victorious in what is coming next. And we see throughout the Bible the men that had their time out in the wilderness and the women that God used and brought them out into the wilderness. Joseph was cast off by his brothers and goes into a time of being a prisoner and being rejected in Potiphar's house and in all. We see that Elijah also spent his time after confronting Ahab and, and is out in the wilderness. And David was hunted by Saul. And we see that Paul had his time in Arabia. We're going to see that Jesus is going to go and spend time out in the wilderness uh, as well. And And sometimes when we find ourselves out in the wilderness, we can think that it's chastisement from the Lord. But you know, oftentimes it is just a time of preparation and a time of equipping. 
And when you do get into the desert, and I'll leave us with this, when you get into the desert, survival in the desert, what is the single most important thing if you're going to survive in the desert? Water. And when you go into your desert, when you go into your wilderness experience, you see, it's a hostile environment. And what happens is, is that in the desert, you become dehydrated because the water that was in you starts to get pulled out by the hostile environment. But you know, in our own lives, when we go into the a desert, into a wilderness experience, what we need is the living water in our lives to be able to be sustained because the trial that we're in, the harshness of the environment is pulling it out of us and we need to then continue to be putting it in so that we can be victorious during that time of preparation in the wilderness. And so may God strengthen us, may he help us, and may he sustain us and prepare us as we go through our times in the wilderness as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and just ask now today that if there are any of us who are going through a wilderness experience, would you strengthen them and meet them and know that that you are just pulling the world out of them and preparing them to be the men and women of God that, that are mighty and can be used powerfully by you. And God, we pray that, that if any of us are battling between fear and faith right now today, as, as Lord, you, you seek to equip us to be victorious, Lord, and that we would choose faith over fear. And God, we pray and just ask right now, Lord, that if any of us are anxious or worrying or gripped by fear, that today would be the day that we would just choose, Lord, to rest in you, to trust in you, and to depart from fear and worry. And so, God, thank you for your blessings in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, when